We'll go ahead and jump into Lesson 4. Pretty good. I'll be just, is this working? We good, Randy? Okay, thank you. Well, hope everybody's enjoying their summer. Flying by. Here it is, the 19th. Um, is that good? You need, need more? Okay. To this, uh, to this point, uh, we've, we've been focusing on, I think, Lesson 1 really need, focused need, heavily uh, on, you know, that the biblical parenting kind of, has to do that? with behavior but ultimately has to do with the heart, and the heart is the driver of okay. behavior. I'll try to keep it here. And um, so we talked a fair amount about the heart of the matter being the matter of the heart and what that means and some of the implications of that. Um, and and moved into, um, you know, the, 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 the foundations with regard to parenting, uh, with regard to, um, to the family, to the marriage, and and into parental authority and motivations. In Lesson 3, we talked about ways of studying your children and particularly focusing on the love languages. I think we spent about 15 or 20 minutes on the love languages. If you're familiar with Chapman's work, we spent some time there in the context of that with regard to, to, to uh, children. And I had hoped last time to get into a section called What Drives You, What Drives Them, but I didn't have time and I didn't want to rush it. So we're going to start there this morning, and then we're going to get into biblical communication or communication skills, the art um, of communication with children, and then open open it up for a discussion. In the outline, if you've been following the outline, the one thing that I'm behind on and I'm going to address it a little bit, but not as, as thoroughly as I might have, is, is a summary of the gift of the blessing by Smalley and Trent. And I hope to get back to it maybe in Lesson 6. I'll have some time to get to it. I will hit some of the points today, but I think it's an excellent book. Unfortunately, I think it's out of print, but perhaps some of you are familiar with it. I think it's a, it's a great book. It complements the love languages very well in terms of the, uh, the work that's been done there and some good guidance. But I, as I said, I'll, I'll try to hit the, the high points and at least in this lesson. Anything we can pray for specifically before we jump in? Any particular great things? It's just normal? just hot? Okay. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for uh, our time. We thank you for the gift of the blessing that you have provided us through our children. And even though they're hard work, And uh, there's probably never been a harder time, at least as far as we can see, to be parents. Uh, We thank you that there are all kinds of opportunities and blessings that you have provided us through resources, through work that's been done, through good uh, biblical understanding. And we thank you for the word that shows, instructs, and is a light to our feet that shows us the way in which we ought to parent. And we thank you ultimately for your example to us, the way you parent us, the way you as our Heavenly Father are patient with us, you discipline us, you strengthen us, you counsel us, you give us direction and instruction and in everything that we need for our life. And we thank you for that and we pray that we will be able to emulate you more and more with our children, that they may be able to see and grow in godliness. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the course overview for today, as I mentioned, for the next half hour or so, uh, 35 minutes, we're going to look at what drives you, what drives them, and do biblical communication, and then try to open it up as close to 9.50 as possible for group discussion. The Q&A, by design, is not intended for me to just sit and answer questions, but to encourage us to talk amongst ourselves as a group, things that we may be particularly struggling with or thinking about, guidance or experience that others may have had, insights that people have that I don't necessarily have, and so it's designed for the brave people to, to bring things up and for us to, to, to learn as we go. Uh, so if we jump into what drives us, uh, what drives them, there are a lot of things that... Uh, when we think about drivers in our lives, if you kind of pictured yourself as a ship or a, or a 
car, something in the captain's seat, something at the driver's seat. The question would be, what are those things that are really driving you? What drives you every morning when you get up? Obviously, we have to go up and get up and make a living and those kinds of things. But I mean, what what are the forcing functions in our lives? And I think if we were if, if we're professing Christians, we would hope to say that the driving force behind us is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And hopefully that's true. But I suspect, if you're like me and most people that I talk to, there are other things that are competing for our attention, other things that are competing for uh, that captain's chair, so to speak. And I've listed a few things that tend to bubble up to the top, acceptance, status, money, possessions, love, achievement, power, intellect, sex, recognition, none of which in of themselves are bad things, right? There's nothing on this list that's inherently evil, inherently bad, that we need to run away from. But any of them and many more can become things that, frankly, are idols in our lives. As Mike talked about, I think, before he left at the, uh, at the Father's Day sermon, there are things that simply can take over and become our governors. And the sooner we understand these things about ourselves... But most importantly, in the context of parenting, the sooner that we understand that our children will also struggle with these kinds of things, the better it's going to be for us, which is the reason why we're talking about it in in parenting, is because if we can show our children the things that some of us have had to learn through through the school of hard knocks, They will be light years ahead, at least when it comes to, say, for example, myself, who learned a lot of these things. I'm still learning them well into my 30s and my 40s. What a blessing it would be if we can tune our children to understanding and grappling with many of these things and asking for God to be along the journey as they're growing up in our household. I mean, it would just, for me, it's just a huge blessing. If uh, you were here at the last uh, six weeks when Seth was doing the movies, one that he pointed out was uh, he gave a handout that I thought was an excellent handout that, that was an RTS handout. And it was asking yourselves what are the idols or the drivers in your life that, um, that frankly have a tendency to take over. You know, life is full of mixed motivations. We, uh, we all love Christ. We all want to follow him. We all want to serve him. But at the same time, we know that there are mixed motivations in the, in the things that we do. And so he, he gave a list, for example, of circling thoughts that are lodged in your heart. He said, you know, circle the following. Power. Life only has meaning if I have worth and worth if I have power and influence over others. Is that true? Or approval. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am loved and respected by so-and-so. Is that true? Comfort. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience in a particular quality of life. Is that true? Control. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in this area. And uh, you get the flavor. And for all the people in, you know, in the, in, on, on the planet Earth, there's probably a different mixture or texture to each one. But you hear some themes Helping, idolatry. Life only has meaning if people are dependent on me and need me. Dependence. Life only has meaning if someone is there to protect me and to keep me safe. Independence. Work. Achievement. Materialism. Religion. Individual person. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if this one person in my life is happy there and happy with me. Irreligion. Life only has meaning and I have worth if I'm totally independent of organized religion. Inner ring. If there's a particular social group or status that I'm associated with. Family, if my children or my parents are happy and happy with me. Relationships, suffering, ideology, and on and on. You get the point? There are various things that are competing. Now, some of them may have no competition for your heart whatsoever. Other ones that I read may, you might say, that, you know, that's talking to me. Okay, and there's usually a couple. The question is, what is driving you? What is competing for the captain's seat? And if we step back and go to the next chart, 
it's asserted in biblical counseling circles that ultimately people, most people, are driven by three core needs. Now, I can't absolutely prove this to you, uh, but I think if we look at it, it lines up pretty well empirically with the kinds of stuff that we see. We have a need to be loved and to belong, and that tends to fall under a need of security. Okay, most of us, no matter how you know strong and independent and Clint Eastwoodish we might be, have a need to be to to be loved, to be able to love, and to belong. It's the reason why we form groups and associations and we root for football teams. You know, there's a sense of security that comes with it. It's the reason why we want to be in a stable, loving family environment because there's a sense of security that goes with it, and that's fine. All that can be great stuff. We have a need to have value and meaning. It's the reason why we guys, you know, get in a room and we start measuring ourselves and Usually the first question we ask is, what do you do? It's a natural, easy question to ask. And so much of our value, not just guys, but you know, folks in, in, in general, has to do with our occupation or our children or the significance that we bring through various things that we might have, our intellect or our money or the recognition or the acceptance. That, that stuff, that value and meaning stuff that we have are key drivers and tend to come around circle of significance. And the last one is we don't want to be hurt. Or conversely, on the flip side, there are certain comforts that we want to, that, that we want to have. Uh, it's the reason why retirement sells so easily, right? What are you selling when you're selling retirement? You're, you're, you're selling the good life. You're selling this life of a sense of that there's comfort and that there's ease and there's a sense of protection and a hedge around you because you've got X amount of dollars in the 401k and everything's going to be good and it's just going to be a nice, comfortable existence. Now, if you look at these three things, and, and so I call them avoidance of pain, if you look at these three things, all of these things were things that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Okay, they had security. They had the security of the hedge around the Garden of Eden, if you will. They didn't have to worry about wild animals and where their next meal was going to come from. And they didn't have to worry about the relationship because God had taken care of the ultimate relationship. And they, would, they could walk with him freely in the garden and they could walk with one another. And where there was an absence of love or, or, and, and, and security, God provided that to the man through the woman. He gave them significance, not simply in a relationship with him, but in terms of the things that they were able to do, the occupation, if you will, the jobs that he, that he provided, gave them a sense of significance. And he gave them a life basically devoid of pain. The curse that came as a result of the fall was pain that would come through having to toil, having to do the childbirth thing, having to, all those kinds of curses that, that, that God brought about. All three of these things were core need things that were met in the garden that were warped by the fall. But the needs didn't go away, right? You know what I mean? And if you look at these things like acceptance, status, money, love, possessions, achievement, power, sex, recognition, or the list that I gave you, most of those things can be tied to one or more of the security, significance, and avoidance of pain drivers that I'm talking about. Now, is this an absolute list? I'm not going to pretend that it is. I don't know. But I think it's a pretty good one. Maybe it's a 90% solution, which usually is good enough for me. Okay. And the needs were rooted in the way in which we were designed and, and, and fully met until the fall. But now, when we try to address these needs which are good needs, but we try to address them wrongly, where does it go? Bad stuff happens. Okay. Um, they lead to all sorts of what I call vain, dysfunctional, and dissatisfying pursuits. Now, we can chase a lot of stuff. We can, you know, I'm over in Melbourne, so I drive across the causeway every single day. And, um, you know, we can have the house on the river. 
Um, we can have the status and the recognition and all that sort of thing, but ultimately we can look in our hearts and say if, if it was addressed wrongly, not that there's anything wrong with having those things, but if they were addressed wrongly, if we, were, if we pursued, if we were driven by those things, ultimately it just wears us out, and it's what the writer of Ecclesiastes calls what? Vanity. Chasing after the wind. Because you grab it, it's there, and then it's gone. And we know this, right? We hear this, this stuff, this problem of idolatry, right? We've experienced it. We've lived it. We've lived the dream of idolatry in our lives, right? We've all experienced this stuff. But um, we continue to struggle with it. Now, what if, going to the next chart, we were able to give our children a huge heads up with regard to the things that we have ourselves struggled with for years and years and years. Not that we are going to solve their problem, not that they are not going to have these struggles, not that they are not going to have to go through their own life experiences, but what if we were able to take these things, which, frankly, I've spent decades, you know, at least understanding in my heart the stuff that I just you know, basically laid out in the last 10 minutes. I don't know about you, maybe I'm just a slow learner, but that whole idol thing, I knew about that when I became a Christian, but I didn't really understand what that meant in the context of living my life. I knew you weren't supposed to do it, right? I read the text. I knew that an idol was a replacement for God. I could intellectually explain that, but until I had to live the dream of working through these kinds of things, that was... Not real to me. What if we were able to aim the child at the target regarding some of these ultimate questions? What if we were tuned in to hearing the child when he's asking or she's asking some of these ultimate questions about significance and about security and about pain? For example, what is it that Johnny is asking when Johnny asks, Dad, am I a good baseball player? Or, Mom, I'm really good on the piano, aren't I? Or, did you think that I did well today? Or, are you proud of me because I got all A's except for one B? What are they asking? Hmm? Recognition? Okay. Achievement? They're asking, do I have value? Does what I do do matter? Does it have significance? Does it have importance? Is it meaningful? Now, are they bad questions to ask? Not at all. Unless what they find out as they're growing up is that in order for you to really have meaning in life, in order for you really to be significant in life, you've got to always get A's, do better and better in your piano recitals, or achieve more and more in sports. Now, who has lived that life? Who has lived the achievement-driven life where in order to have meaning and value and significance, you had to achieve more and more? You had to have the title. You had to have the position. You had to have the house, the car, the stuff. Have you lived that life? Okay. What if when we were tuned in to hearing our children and what the children are asking, we're able to say, yes, you are. That's a fantastic report card. And I'm very proud of you for doing the report card. And I, I'm, I'm thankful that God has given you the gift to being able to do the report card. But you know what, Johnny? That's not the most significant thing in your life. We want you to get good grades because we want you to be able to glorify God through your ability and through your intelligence. But you know what? That's not what really gives you most significance. Johnny, what gives you the most significance in your life is accepted in Christ, a relationship in him. Now, what if we were saying that once in a while, just kind of sprinkling it out there, not every single day, but sprinkling it? What if we were praying that for our kids? What if we were praying it with our kids? What if we were tuning them in that the questions that they're asking us about the grades and about the music and all that are about the grades and about the music, but what they're really about is what? Something much more 
something much deeper. Okay, that the grades and the music simply are not going to satisfy. They get you there for a little while, but then you got to do more. Right? What if we were able to hone them in at early ages and being able to understand what their questions are really asking? To me, that would be a huge, that would be like taking them, I'm from, I'm from Colorado, that would be like taking them halfway up Pikes Peak. I could get them 7,500 feet up there. Okay, they're still going to have to do some climbing. But I could, get them, I could get them halfway up the peak if I could tune them in to understanding what their hearts are really asking. Or the security thing. You know, you've heard the stories, right? And, and it's not that women are just into security and men are just into significance, but, you know, there are those kinds of generalizations that sometimes can be made. Um, not, not, not universal. But you, you know the story. The story about the feelings of abandonment, the, the, the girl who went off and went to, and, and hid for a while to see if anyone would pursue her. You know, I was walking by. Cheryl was doing the ladies' study on Wednesday, and, and um, I was just listening to the, I think it was a Beth Moore. It's hard to, to miss Beth Moore, and, uh, at least in, in terms of the loudness factor. And so I think it was Beth Moore was, was saying something about how a friend of hers was going through a divorce, someone she knew through, and, and her thing was, he wouldn't fight for me. He did not fight for me. Well, you know, they wouldn't pursue me. Okay? So you don't get it at home. You know the whole story. Where does the girl go? She goes to Johnny, who knows. Poor Johnny. <laughs> he gets overly used in this class. He, Johnny knows just what to say and just how to make her feel loved. Right? So he gets what he wants, throws her out. Maybe there's a baby involved. You know this story. What's it about? Security, love, acceptance. She's asking ultimate questions, trying to play them out in her life. And if she's not getting it in a good relationship at home, she's going to go find it somewhere else. Now, this isn't just a she story, right? I don't want to pick on just ladies. But you know what I'm saying. What if we were tuned in to these things as parents? What if we were, when they are asking the question, we knew what the real question was that they were asking? Okay, so here's my, my, my recommendation. Hear and understand the need. Listen for the question behind the question. Yeah, Johnny, you're a great baseball player. And I hope God, you know, takes you as far as you want to go. But you really have ultimate significance, Johnny, because you're a child of the Father. That's really what it's about, Johnny. And long after the baseball cleats are hung up, and long after you can't run fast enough to be able to get to first base in time not to get thrown out, you're still going to have ultimate significance because you're a child of the Father. That's what it's really about, Johnny. Hear and understand the need. Point the child to the ultimate fulfillment centered in their relationship in Christ. The ultimate way in which the needs are met are in Christ. Now, we say this over and over again. It's like Sunday school. The ultimate needs are in Christ, right? But if we can get that here... It's a life-breaking-through kind of experience, right? And then don't ignore the things with skin on. Okay, the things with skin on really matter. And, and let me tell you what I mean by this. There's a story in this book, The Gift of the Blessing, um, about uh, a, a little girl who is scared. She's, she's in bed, and there's a big lightning storm, like one of these Florida lightning storms comes through, you know, scaring her. And uh, she's crying out, Daddy, Daddy, you know. So he comes in, and Daddy prays with her, and he says, Now, you know God is always here. God's always with you. God's always present. Okay? And she says, Daddy, that's great, but right now I just need someone with skin on. You know what I mean? God gives us things with skin on. It's not just all this ethereal, pie-in-the-sky type of, you know, answers. God gives us relationships that matter. He gives us good, healthy avenues of significance and pursuit, you know, when we do those things. But they have to be in the right context. If you lose the context of God being the provider and Adam begins to worship Eve rather than Adam recognizing Eve as a great provider, you know, something that was provided for him, for his good, then everything gets all screwed up. So we have to have this 
delicate balance between pointing them to the ultimate question and the ultimate answer in Christ and recognizing that God gives us good provisions. But, oh, by the way, your wife is going to disappoint you from time to time. Your husband is going to hurt you from time to time. Your parents are going to screw up from time to time. People are going to do it wrong from time to time. And that just comes with being part of this whole fallen thing. So we need the things with skin on, but we also have to understand the things with skin on are not ultimately going to get the job done. Okay? I think about somebody who's in love with music because I love music and know nothing about it. That's why I force my children to take... I don't force them, you know, but, you know, as much as I possibly can. But you just can imagine. I can just imagine. I I don't know, Amanda, what it's like, but I can just imagine just a... Just being able to express it, it just seems so cool to me. You know, all I can do is talk. And, 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 I, and I just, it just seems like it would be such a great expression. You know, of, well, that's a beautiful thing. Just being able to be part of it is just an amazing thing to me. But I suspect, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not ultimately satisfying. There are probably days when it just doesn't get the job done. And that's just the way that things with skin on are. They're good things God has given, but in an ultimate sense, they don't ultimately satisfy. So that's the balance, the delicate mess that we have to teach our children. So anyway, questions on this. I've gone on and on. This is a big deal to me. I think it's one of those little unlock the door, you know, all the floodlights come on, all the sunshine comes through, because it's just, it seems to me to be a huge thing with regard to the questions of life. Questions, comments? Does it make sense? Makes sense to him. Yes, Cheryl. Easy say, hard do, and always, always peeling the onion layer back. It's just one of those things you never get done with, as you said. You just never get done with it. But if you can come back to it and you can keep reinforcing it and keep praying over it and keep praying with the children and keep helping them to understand it, you know, it will unlock their heart, which is what we're trying to do, Vic. I think one of the things that really comes into play Right, and they are going to fail, as you said, and and actually that's an excellent point to the counter, which is what happens to the child when they are really good at something and they don't succeed? You know, that's where the ultimate question issue has to be, you know, addressed because it's going to happen, as you said. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out because we're going to click along. You know, perfect example is... I went to Air Force, Air Force Academy. Um, so, you know, you think you're really something special going through high school, right? You do better than most anybody else, blah, blah, blah. You're this, you're that, you're the valedictorian, you're the student class president, you're the... You get to the Air Force Academy or the service academies or any of these kinds of competitive institutions like that, guess what? Everybody did it. Everybody lived your life in high school, and there were a lot of people who did it better than you did. How do you do that? How do you deal with that? 
Do you, was that so much of an issue of your significance, as you say, Vic, that, that you just fall apart when you find out you're not the best baseball player, you're not the best academic student or whatever? And, and if that's the case, then A, it's an idol, <laughs> and B, you're relying on it in an area of significance that, that, frankly, you have not addressed the ultimate question yet. So, excellent. Yes, Randy? Uh, I For what reason? Philippians 2. Yep. Leadership will keep you humble, won't it? Um, Okay, so very good. Thank you. The biblical communication part. um, Oh, boy. Can I just talk a little longer? We'll just talk amongst ourselves. Because I should do this. I should get through this section. Communication is not a monologue, Tripp says. It's a dialogue. It's not only the ability to talk, but the ability to listen. Many times when we think about communication, we think about how we can articulate you know, our position. We think about what kinds of phraseology we can put together. Are we strong speakers? Blah, blah, blah. And that's part of it. But true communication is, and particularly with regard to parenting, is our ability, as Proverbs 25 says, to draw out purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. A parent of understanding draws out the children's heart. So it's not just this monologue. Johnny, I told you, you need to be responsible, you need to take out the trash, you need to clean up your room, you need to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Do you understand, Johnny? Okay, and then off you go. That's a monologue. Johnny may do those things because he doesn't want to listen to the lectures anymore. But you're doing very little with regard to really understanding Johnny. And then ultimately, as I said, when you're just into behavior modification, sooner or later, Johnny's behavior is going to change to the way Johnny wants it to be. And we will have been no better for the whole journey except that he did what you told him to do while he was under your roof sometimes. So a fool, the Bible says, is the one who just delights in airing his own opinions. Okay, now that doesn't mean we don't have monologues from time to time and we don't explain the rules of the game. But if all we're doing is sitting around and telling Johnny our opinions and lecturing Johnny and sit on the floor and Johnny and Susie and we're going to just talk to you until we're blue in the face, then the Bible says, I didn't make it up, that we're a fool. We delight in airing our opinions. So it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Uh, We're trying to communicate things to them, but we are also trying to receive from them. So the question is, when do we communicate? Well, the next chart says something about how God would want us to communicate when it comes to his commandments. And this is a famous passage you all have probably seen. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, strength. Um, These commandments I give to you are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of the houses and on your gates. What's the point? Communicate. Okay. Every aspect. Early and often, as we say. Communicate often. Communicate in different ways. Communicate in different modes, various things that are happening. Um, When do we communicate? Next chart. Before they can understand. Believe it or not, we start communicating before they can understand, and we don't always just 
communicate in the blah, 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 blah. See, I can't even do it. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, blah, 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 talk, you know. We communicate because many things, even if they are hearing the words and the words don't make sense, there's so many nonverbals that are going on, they may not totally pick up on everything, but we're communicating before they understand what it is that we are that, that we think that they don't understand. Okay, does that make sense? Sometimes we do not give the children enough un, uh, appreciation for the fact that they're taking in more than we realize. So communicate early, and then communicate often at bedtime. Okay, is an opportunity to kind of gather the day. What was the greatest thing that happened today, Susie, Mary? What was something you really struggled with? What was it that God showed you today? Something maybe you hadn't thought about? Probing kinds of questions. And, you know, let's be honest. A lot of times it's going to be, you know, there's not, it's not going to be this long, eloquent, beautiful soliloquy. You know, that, that's not it. But it's going to be peace parts that we're going to be gathering, that we're going to be asking as we're drawing them out at bedtime, reinforcing things, praying with them, reading to them. When they come home, if they're off in school and they come home, or if they're off in lessons and they come home, you know, how did the lessons go? Now, if your kids are like mine, how was how was your day? I walk in, good. Okay, lest you have any misunderstandings or misperceptions about Lane's ch- children or you know Lane as a parent. How was your day? Good. How did the lessons go? Good. How was gymnastics? Good. Okay, now if I don't probe any further, and many times I don't feel like it, I go into my office and start typing on the computer, and that's the conversation. Good. Okay, we have to work at this, right? But when they come home at dinner time, so many dinner times destroyed, unfortunately, by all of our busyness and some things we can't avoid. I'm not down on it, but an opportunity to get together. And you know how dinner time is, right? What's dinner time like? If we are together at dinner, it's been a long day. We are tired. We are just, you know, petered out, and we just don't, you know, the last thing sometimes we want to do is talk. But here's a grand opportunity for us to have a, di- a, a dialogue. So what do we have to do? Sometimes we just have to be very intentional. Like we've done stupid things, Cheryl and I have, where in order to force us to have conversation, particularly Lane, who just wants to shut down after work, to force me to have conversations, we will go through things like logic games. You know, you can get those puzzle, those logic puzzle books and stuff, and we'll start, here's the scenario, and we'll start working it out together as a couple or as a family. Who knows where that leads? You know, is it something super spiritual? I don't know, probably not. But it opens us up and it gives us something to focus ourselves on upon as a family because a lot of times we're just sitting there, you know, we're done. Communication takes work. You have to be intentional particularly when all you've been doing is communicating all day long and you don't want to communicate anymore, right? Um, on car trips, uh, I, I was on a car trip with my dad one time. We left. It was in seventh grade. I distinctly remember it. We were going to go pick up a tractor in Alabama. We lived in Arizona. That was a three-and-a-half-day car trip one way. There were tons of time for communication. The amount of communication that happened was this much, not this much, this much. I mean, it was just very, it was deathly quiet and the radio was on. You know, and I sat around and I thought, you know, my dad should have communicated with me more, rah, 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 until I started picking up Chase, my oldest, at Taekwondo practice, which is about half an hour, uh, training, which is about half an hour away. And it had been a long day. And you know what? Same story. I wouldn't initiate communication. Chase is kind of a quiet kid. He didn't initiate communication. Pretty soon it's just death silence. So all the rah, 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 rah about what my dad should have done, you know, here I am not communicating with my child, and here's half an hour for us to talk about things. And we're not because I'm not initiating anything. I'm not asking Chase questions. I'm not probing his heart. I'm just not interested. I'm interested, but I'm just not going to take the time to do it because it takes energy. Whenever the opportunity presents itself, we communicate. But it's an investment, right? It's not just something that naturally happens. The kids just don't naturally spill their guts most of the time. Sometimes they do, but not most of the time. 
You've heard the old expression, I don't spend quantity time with my kids, but I spend quality time with my kids. You've heard that expression? Don't mean to step on toes. Quality time comes out of quantity time. Okay, you might spend X amount of time with your kid for this sliver of an opportunity where they really open their heart up and it just, it, you know, and it just happens. But that's the time that all the teaching moments happen, all the instruction happens. That's, those are the moments that you're trying to seize upon. Unfortunately, you know, you don't know when it's going to happen, right? You, you'd be lovely. Okay, Johnny, come home. Now open up your heart. Right? That works. You know, Susie, spill your, spill your guts. I'm going to have to get new names next week. I'm sorry. Spill your guts. Tell me what's happening in your life. Okay? And so you go on and on and on. We do this, and then, and then these climactic moments happen. We want to spend time explaining to our children they're getting ready to go to college, all the things we wanted to say that we never said, right? And by that time, Dad, I'm sorry, I've got to pack the bags. I'm moving on. I've got things to do. I'm busy, 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 busy. I've got my life to live. The conversations don't happen. The girl goes off, and she's going to be married, and we want to have that moment before she's, you know, mom wants to have that precious moment with the the daughter before the daughter goes and walks down the aisle, and the daughter's stressed and doing all this, you know, know, and it just doesn't happen. Why? Because you can't always pick your spots to communicate. You have to give yourself this much of a window to communicate in order for this kind of beautiful moment to happen sometimes. Right? So... Regularly, just like Deuteronomy 6 tells us to communicate regularly. How do we communicate? Next chart. Well, there's a lot of ways, and I'm sure there's stuff that I don't have on my list, but let me give you a few. First of all, with honesty and integrity. Let me tell you what I mean. How many of you have seen this scenario? You're down, you're in Target, or you're in the airport or whatever, and mom and junior are having it out. And junior's throwing a tantrum, having a fit. And mom says to junior, Junior, if you don't come over here right now and you don't do what I say, I'm leaving you here. I'm telling you, I'm leaving. I am leaving. I'm going to the cash register. I'm leaving and you're going to stay here. Have you seen this scenario happen before? Does mom mean it? She may feel like it. But she knows she has no intention whatsoever of leaving Junior at Target. None. Because she knows she will be arrested for child neglect. Okay? So she's not speaking to Junior honestly, with integrity. No matter how emotionally worked up she may be, she's not. And Junior's figuring it out that what mom is trying to do is manipulate his behavior and she will say what she needs to say, whether it's truthful or not truthful, whether it's integrity or not integrity, to get what she needs to say, to get him to do what he wants to do. And then Junior figures out how to play the game and he starts manipulating too. He doesn't need a lot of help. We're born manipulators. Right? Respectfully, kindly, and maturely. This is a foot stomper for me. Um, when we were at, when I was at Air Force, we had uh, the infamous Schofield quote. It was Major General John M. Schofield's graduation address to the graduating class of 1879 at West Point. And the quote is a beautiful one. And he, he wasn't thinking about parenting necessarily, but he was thinking about leadership. And so I'm going to share it with you. He said, the discipline which makes the soldiers of a free country reliable in battle is not to be gained by harsh or tyrannical treatment. On the contrary, such treatment is far more likely to destroy than to make an army. It is possible, and here's the key, to impart instruction and give commands in such a manner and in such a tone of voice as to inspire in the soldier no feeling but an intense desire to obey. It is possible to impart instruction and give commands in such a manner and such a tone of voice as to inspire in the soldier no feeling but an intense desire to obey, while the opposite manner and tone of voice cannot fail to excite strong resentment and a desire to disobey. 
The one mode or the other in dealing with subordinates springs from a corresponding spirit in the breast of the commander. In other words, the way we deal with our subordinates comes from here. He who feels the respect which is due to others cannot fail to inspire in them respect for himself, while he who feels and hence manifests disrespect towards others, especially his subordinates, cannot fail to inspire hatred against himself. Now, the irony of Schofield's quote is the reason why we were to learn Schofield's quote became nothing to do with what Schofield said and everything to do with whether we could memorize that long quote. And so the upperclassmen would say, Smack, give me Schofield's quote, sound off, blah, 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 blah. Did you just listen to Schofield's quote when you were screaming at me, when you were telling me to get my shoulders back and down, when you were putting your hands, when you were treating me in a disrespectful, rude, unkind, uncouth manner? So Schofield's quote didn't have anything to do with the quote. It just had to do with, can he cite it off when we're yelling at him? Which, by the way, is what Schofield said, don't do. See, that's how religion also works. We get so enamored with the learning the catechism or learning the, you know, the commandments, and there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, that we don't even remember what they said, but we can, re- we can really cite them off. Well, here's the problem. How many of us respond positively to disrespect, to unkindness, to lack of gentleness? Why should we expect our children to do any differently? If we are not respectful to them, why should we expect them to treat one another respectfully and to treat us respectfully and to be kind and to be good and to be gentle and to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? I would like to make a. I would like to submit, and I may be wrong, but but I don't think I am, that there is little to nothing that we need to communicate to our children, whether it's discipline, whether it's instruction, whether it's correction, whether it's rebuke, whether it's love, tenderness, any of those kinds of things that we cannot do in a respectful, kind tone of voice. I think. I can communicate the same discipline with my children with a level, mature tone of voice than I can by yelling at them and reading the right act. Okay, now I understand emotions. You know, I understand we get tired, we get frazzled, we get worn down. But when we have moments where we just lose it with our kids, we really need to go back and seek their forgiveness because we don't have to be that way. We can inspire in them a greatness that doesn't have to come from us berating them. You know what I mean? Different opinions, thoughts, I don't know, it's just my opinion. So, openly and sincerely, um, what I mean here is we don't have to pretend with our children that we've got it all together. Now, that doesn't mean we have to vomit every problem that we've got going on with our children. That's not my point. But we can be open and transparent. For example, I'm really struggling in a certain area right now, Chase, and I would appreciate it if you would pray for me in this area. Okay, now, if this was a deep, dark secret that was happening with Cheryl, I might not invite Chase into that world. But if it's a struggle that I'm having with particularly with a personality at work or something that's happening in my life or really I'm anxious about something, why shouldn't I be able to share that as my children grow a little older? Why shouldn't I allow them to enter my world and see that transparency and pray with me? If I'm struggling with an area or a dynamic within, um, you know, within something in my spiritual life, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, I'm not saying I have, but I'm not saying I ought to just vomit it out and kale. I have a porn addiction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, discretion, but I'm talking about it at the same time. You know, why can't we be tran- more transparent with our kids? Why can't we allow them to see some of the struggles that we're going on, that mom and dad struggle with things too? So be discreet, but at the same time, allow them to see some transparency. Um, as a family, um, what I mean here is coming together as a family, sharing things together around the table openly. For example, in a couple of months, I'm changing jobs within Harris. I'm not leaving Harris. I'm not leaving the location. I'm just changing jobs. And I've been warned that 
there's a lot more hours that come with it. I don't know whether that's true or not. We'll see what it is. But I'm going to talk to my family about that. We're going to sit down and talk about it. We're going to talk about balance. We're going to talk about expectations. You might not see as much of Dad as you've been used to seeing Dad during 2009. We need to work through that. Let's talk about it. Let's keep the lines of communication open. That's something that's going to happen in our family. Why should I not communicate that? Why should we not have a roundtable discussion about that in our family? So you know what's coming. And if, oh, by the way, it just gets out of control, I'll quit my job, you know. But let's understand the expectations that are going to come. And then confidentially, and here I really encourage us to be discreet if it's not gossip or inappropriate family secrets. But there are things that you do keep confidential within the family. There are things, particularly as the kids get older, and certain things may come to surface and that we may struggle with. And we don't just disclose it to everybody and share it with the world. Uh, maybe it is something that has been an injustice that's been done by a neighbor or by a friend or something, and we all know about it, and so we talk maturely about it, but we say this is not something that we're just going to go blab to everybody. We're going to work through it. We're going to pray about it. We're going to f- discuss it. Maybe our feelings have hurt, been hurt. We're going to talk about the injustice. We're going to deal with one another in terms of forgiveness. But it is a confidential matter. Now, what I'm not saying, and I've seen this happen, is dad has a problem with Mrs. So-and-so, and dad can't keep his mouth shut, and dad likes to gossip. So dad's just going to spill whatever in front of the kids, and then dad says to Junior, now, Junior, don't you say anything to her. That's not what I'm talking about. That is not appropriate. That's gossip. It may be slander. It's inappropriate use of family secrets. That's not what I'm speaking of. But there are times for confidentiality within the family. So what do we communicate? Um, Real quickly, correction. You can read the quotes. These come right out of Tripp's book, Correction. Um, Remedying something wrong. Entreaty. From time to time when we plead with them, Son, I see you going down this path, and I'm I'm just pleading with you not to do this. This is a path that is going to lead to some destruction. You may not see it right now. And I'm just praying, you know, right now for this, and I'm pleading with you from my heart that this is going to hurt, and I'm just not seeing good things come out of it. That's entreaty. Next chart, instruction, process of providing a lesson, warning, uh, teaching, all of those things. And the Proverbs, by the way, are excellent for these kinds of things, excellent guide for us to make our students, our children students of the Proverbs. Take them through the Proverbs. Memorize Proverbs together, uh, particularly in the area of warnings. Proverbs are replete with warnings about sexual infidelity, about being a fool, about too much tongue, about gossip, about slander, about laziness, all those kinds of things. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the keys, next chart, that I really would like to encourage us to communicate are... Prayer. Now, prayer is not communication to the child, obviously. Prayer is communication with God. But it's regularly praying with and for your children. Do we pray with and for our children daily? You don't have to raise your hand. But is that a pattern of your life? I would encourage us to make it a pattern of our life. Many of us pray for our children. Many of us pray with our children. There is a special time when we hold hands together around the table or we sit on the floor and we pray to God and there is a communion and a fellowship that is unlike any other time. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And we hear them praying from their hearts. And maybe it's a silly little prayer. You know, we would say, you know, Johnny, stop being so silly, you know. Well, but we don't because we know it's from the heart. And we pray and, and, and we're hearing their heart open up to God and we're hearing what they're thinking about God. And hopefully it's not just... God, give me a good day and help me to keep sucking, not, no more sucking of my thumb. You try to help them pray more and more uh, insightful prayers and, and, and deeper prayers. But it, as it says, gives us a window into our children's soul and allows our children to have a window into our soul. And the last thing that I would like to encourage us, can we go eight minutes? Can we do eight more minutes? I hope I can finish in that amount of time. Is uh, words of blessing. Just because I'm getting a little bit behind and I want to share 
In this book, which, as I've mentioned, fortunately, I think may be out of print, but if you can get your hands on through a Libris or something, The Gift of the Blessing, and you've not read the book, it would be a recommendation for me. There are three blessings, uh, elements of blessings, which uh, the authors talk about. And three of them distinctly have to do with communication. So these are, those are the three that I pointed out. One is words of blessing or a spoken message. And what they mean by this is a regular communication of encouragement, of acceptance, and of love. And they say in many homes today, words of love and acceptance are seldom heard. It's a tra- tragic misconception parents in these homes share that simply being present communicates the blessing. Nothing could be further from the truth. The blessing becomes only a blessing when it is spoken. You know what I mean by a blessing? A communication of of value, a communication of esteem, um, a communication of goodness upon the recipient. And... Parents many times think that just being there is going to be able to communicate the words of blessing, and that's simply not true, according to the authors. We have to be intentional about communicating encouragement and acceptance and love. And again, it's great to encourage them on their accomplishments. That, that's maybe the easiest encouragement, and that's great. We should. But we need to remember to encourage them independent of their accomplishments to communicate acceptance independent of their accomplishments, to, to communicate love independent of their accomplishment. The other one that they point out is the communication of high value or high worth. And they tell a story, I won't go through the whole thing, of, of this gal named Diane, or Diane whose parents had tried unsuccessfully for years to have children. And when they were finally able to have Diane, they just wept at the gift that God had given them. But when Diane came out, there was a noticeable problem, which was that her left arm stopped right here at the elbow. And so there was a lot of anxiety. Is there something else that's going on? At the end of the day, when they had all the checkups, the only thing that was you know, the only problems that she had was she was missing part of, a, of an arm. And they said that they decided that morning that they would encourage Diane to become all that God would have her be in spite of the problems that they and Diane would have to face along the way. And it says years have gone by since, and Diane's parents have prayed for her in that, that hospital room. In fact, Diane is 19 now and attending a major university. However, something special about Diane draws draws your attention away from her empty sleeve, particularly when you listen to her play a beautiful melody on the piano with only one hand. She's had to deal with tremendous obstacles in her 19 years, the stares, the giggles, the tactless questions of her peers in grade school, the fears and uncomfortable feelings about whether she would go to a dance in junior high, the questions and worries that come about whether she would date in high school, just to name a few. On the other hand, throughout the real-life struggles of being born handicapped, Diane received the precious and powerful gift from her parents, the security of knowing she was highly valued and unconditionally accepted. That's the communication of high value. You are highly valued to us, independent of your handicap. Now, I'm going to submit that all of our children are born in one way, shape, or form, with a handicap. It may not be physical. It may not be obvious. But there's something that's going to be there that's going to be a wound that maybe, quote-unquote, just came with the DNA. And our challenge as parents is to communicate high value to that child for who that child is and for the blessing that that child is in our lives, even when we don't feel like it. The last one is a picture of a special future, drawing a picture of a child's future based on who they are and how they're gifted. And I would encourage us to think about the heart issues. For example, Mary, you have a sweet and tender heart. I can just see you being able to bestow compassion upon, you know, just being a compassionate, generous, loving person as you grow up. 
communicating a value or, excuse me, a, a future picture of what they might be, what God might have them be in the future. Those are three areas in Trent and Smalley's book that deal particularly with what we communicate with our children, I think are very important. And then the last chart is communicating to study our children. In order to study, and I talked about this last week, to study our children and to draw them out, sometimes we need to prepare some questions for our moments together. And we've talked about this. We're tired. We're driving home. The questions just don't fall off. You know, they're just not, you know, right at the tip of our tongue. And it's okay to have a list, you know. And if we have to, carry the list around or put the list in the car or wherever you need to keep the list. Here's a few. What do you daydream about? You know, seems like a simple question. What are you daydreaming about? Our kids daydream. What are they daydreaming about? What are they dreaming about? Um, when you think about your years as, as a young adult, when you're in your 20s and when you're in 30s, what, do you, what would you really like to do? What do you see yourself doing? Do you think you're still going to be doing a lot of writing, Chase, or what, what is it that you're going to do? Why? Of all the people you study in the Bible, who's the person that you'd like to be like and why? What do you believe that God wants you to do specifically for humankind? What type of boyfriend or girlfriend are you most attracted to? What is it, you know, if there's some person in your school that makes your toes tingle, you don't have to tell me what her name is or what his name is, but what is it that's special about them? Why are they special to you? Why are you attracted to them? What is it that's the best part of your school day? What is it that's the worst? I mean, there's tons of these kinds of questions that you can come up with, but you have to be, we have to be intentional about them. And have, it's okay to have the list. Okay, maybe we want to like, not see the kids have see that our, we have a pre-canned list, but you know, these get to the heart. Who are they? What makes them uniquely them, special, uh, fearfully and wonderfully made? So my homework assignment, if you would like, is is related to the whole thing of studying your children and communicating with your children. The dialogue, the dialogue of the dance of communication, if you will. And it is simply take some time to define the single best adjective you can use to describe your child, each one of your children, for those of you who have more than one. Just an adjective. It doesn't have to, you know, there's no one adjective that just can describe them all. But, for example, John the wise, Suzanne the merciful, Fred the driven. You know what I mean? And as you're studying your child... What is it that really describes your child? And then leverage that knowledge to talk to them about that. What is it that they might be able to take because they are a wise child, before, because they are a driven child, because they have this natural discernment, this natural encouragement. They're a great encourager. You know, Holly the encourager, I'm making up names. Submit lists of names for me to use. Um, John McAllister, the, the, the uh, passionate, whatever. What is it about them that makes that really distinguishes them from somebody else in their family, somebody else on the block or whatever, that God might really specially and uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully make them into? doesn't mean they're one-dimensional. doesn't mean it's the only thing. You get my point? So if you like, go on a date night. And take this homework assignment and find one adjective. Challenge yourselves to find one adjective, one, one thing that uniquely describes each one of your children. I'm sorry I've gone way over. Thank you for bearing with me. I, I have to stop. I'll try to open more with more Q&A next time just for anybody who has questions that you didn't get to today. It was a monologue, not as much of a dialogue, and I apologize for that, but I really wanted to get to this point because there's more stuff that we need to get through and we only have six weeks to do it. Um, anything that's burning before we quit? Just something I said that just either totally set you wrong and you need to fix me now or, or need to... Usually the NIV. I almost always use the NIV. I, I think I... Try to put comma in the version. 
if I missed that, I, I apologize. I usually at the end will put Proverbs 20, blah, comma, comma, NIV. And I almost always use the NIV. Yes. that have been your adjective for her? Right. Right. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you for your indulgence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. And we, we know there's a lot of stuff here and we're not going to get it all and we're not going to do it all right. And we're going to skin our knees and we're going to mess up. And, um, I pray that there would be no appearance of me believing that I have it all together here because I certainly don't. But help us to use these things as references, as guides, things to come back to, fall back on, think about maybe one or two things really stood out today that we can take back to our children, that we can work with them. Cover over our sins. Uh, Where we fall short, cover over. Where we are ignorant and blind, allow us to be able to see. And just... Bless the work of our our efforts. Bless our prayers. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a good week. Oh, it's not?